0: Well, here it is, right? I mean, we all knew it was coming, right? I mean, if you've been with us, we're doing this overview of the whole Bible this year. I mean, we just sort of hoping we'd skip over Song of Solomon, right? The most erotic book of the Bible. I was kind of hoping we'd skip over it, uh, but we're not. And, and here we are, and it even looks as if we decorated for the occasion, doesn't it? I mean... I mean, yeah, okay, this is for VBS, but it, it feels almost like we as a team sat down this week and said, you know, okay, we're going to talk about sex. How can we make this as awkward as possible, right? <laughs> Ferris wheel, roller coaster, I mean, it's just kind of like a carnival, right? Exciting, a little bit scary, you know? I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, Jennifer even, even told me that, you know, these things are, there's a spot for like a puppet show, could have done that, seems like low class, Um <laughs> But honestly, I mean, it was also, I could dress up like a clown. I'd probably feel more comfortable right now if I had, honestly. So this this topic, I mean, are we really, are we really going to talk about sex? I mean, if you think you feel awkward, you can join me up here at any moment, okay? I mean, this isn't exactly a subject that many of us feel particularly comfortable with, is it? I mean, outside of maybe the occasional guy's locker room or, or girl's night, we, we tend to respond to the talk a, a little bit like this guy. Let's watch. Dad, where do babies come from? Uh, oh, well, there's a, there's a planet. It's called Babylandia. That's right, it's filled with babies. Uh huh, babies of all kinds. And when the time is just right, there's a space launch. All systems go. They wave goodbye. And then they they board these big, shiny rocket ships, right? They shoot off high in the sky, and they fly through space. And then they, they penetrate the atmosphere. And then they're released all over the place. Yeah, Africa. The, the Indian Ocean. Uh, the, well Everywhere, after an amazing nine-month journey, they find their mommies and daddies. And that, son, is where babies come from. But Jake said babies are made when mommies and daddies... You go. Play Wheels on the Bus. Well, wheels on the Bus go round and round, mm-hmm. round and round round and round, round and round well, Wheels on the Bus go round and round, oh, yeah, we're just kind of hoping that at some point, Patrick's going to bust up here and, and lead us into another song, right? To, to, to rescue us from the awkwardness. Well, it's complicated, isn't it? I mean, it's personal. And quite frankly, this is an issue that for just about, I mean, at least most of us, right, comes with, at the very least, a little bit of, of heartache or disappointment and or shame, Right? I mean, it it affects us so intimately. I'm not sure that I could think of an issue more strongly contested, deeply personal, and so often at times painful than the issue of our sexuality. But if that's true, and if it does affect us so profoundly, you'd think that at least God would have a thing or two to say about it, right? But come on. I mean, the Bible, it's you know, our sexually liberated, advanced culture. Is there anything relevant for us there? Well, honestly, I think so much of our heartache and disappointment could be minimized if only we took these words more seriously. There's actually a whole book of the Bible dedicated to the beauties of sexual love within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. It's called Song of Solomon or, or Song of Songs. A book this good gets two titles, right? Two names. It's called, called Either. But as we look at this ancient love song this morning, we learn such an essential truth that sex is about so much more. Sex is about so much more. Yeah, but really in church, we're going to talk about it. Well, you better believe it. Let me give you two reasons just really quickly. One, we talk about it because the, this book talks about it, and we're a church that teaches this book, and so if it talks about it, eventually it's going to come up here, right? That's just, that's who we are, it's, it's what we do. God talks a lot about it, honestly. It seems as if he's pretty proud of it, uh, and so we're going to talk about it here. And, and second of all, we, we talk about it because we're desperate for answers, I mean, every one of us, right, we're we're looking for answers and, and particularly about issues that are so intimate to us that affect us so personally. We're desperate for answers. Your kids are looking for answers. And if we don't look here, where are we going to look? And if you don't answer your kids' questions about sexuality, the questions don't go away. They just get answered by somebody else. We've got to be prepared to be able to talk about this. Together, as a church, and besides, sex cannot be merely a private matter. And sure, it's personal, okay? We're not going to get into any weird details, okay? That's, that's not where we're going, it's, but it's not private. I, lo- I love what Wendell Berry writes. He says, sex, like any other necessary, precious, and volatile power that is commonly held, is everybody's business. And I know, too, just quickly, a disclaimer here. I know that I'm a guy, okay? I recognize that. Um, and I realize that as a guy, I look at this view from one angle only, okay? And I know that that's, that's a liability, and for some of you particular ladies, it might be a little bit harder to, to hear what I'm saying. I, I understand that. Uh, at the very least, I had Kelly read my manuscript this week, um, just so you're aware. She thought it was terrible, so I started over. Um, no, not, not really. Not really. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. That would have been a long weekend, really, um, a long Saturday. But no, I mean, we're, we're on the same page, and I, I know that's not the same. I'm still a guy, but I, I hope you hear at least from both of us that we're on the same page when it comes to this issue. Now, as we talk about such a complicated topic, uh, we're actually going to begin in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, okay? And then we're going to spend a little time in the middle of the Bible, right, in Song of Solomon, uh, and then we'll end in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, We need to understand our sexuality in light of the whole story that God is telling. And as we do so, we're going to see five things. Let me just tell you what they are so you kind of know where we're headed here. Five things. First of all, sex tells a story. Sex is about intimacy. Sex is about commitment. Sex isn't without struggles. And sex is merely an appetizer. Sex is about so much more. Which is really interesting because I think in our culture, and maybe you've recognized this as well, we, we treat sex in our culture as if it's everything and nothing all at the same time. I mean, have, you, have you noticed that? I mean, it is, it is everything in our culture. It is your identity. It defines who you are. The, the quality of your life practically is based on the, 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 the quality and the quantity of sex, right? Right? I mean, it, it, so many people live life, maybe some of us live for the sort of the next big sexual experience. We've made it everything, and yet at the same time, we've made it nothing. We've taken any meaning out of it, any substance. We've said that it's, it's really just an act. It's really, it has, has no, no character behind it, no nothing. And so on the, on the one hand, your life almost isn't worth living without it, which is kind of ridiculous. But on the other hand, it's just, it's cheap, it's, it's meaningless, but the Bible offers us a third way because it's it's not nothing and it's not everything and yet it is about so much more. So let's begin where sex begins in the Garden of Eden. We all have a, a story of sexuality, but what's God's story? Well, in Genesis, the story of creation we see that sex tells a story. Sex was God's idea. He put the man and the woman together in the garden, and he gives them this this gift. Genesis 2, beginning with verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It it is not good that the man should be alone. And it goes on, it talks about how Adam and Eve then are are brought together for the the first time and sort of this this marriage ceremony with God himself officiating. And it says in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And this is the starting point. Okay, this is, this is the first marriage so- ceremony. Again, God himself is the one who's officiating. And we see so much on display right there in the garden. When we see commitment, right? Because of the start of this, this new family, we see intimacy, this idea of, of one flesh, and we see the idea of, of sex. They were, they were naked and unashamed. All of those right there, marriage, intimacy, commitment, and sex, all together, right? Bound together from the very beginning, even before our world fell apart. It was God's idea, you know, some, some have made sex out to be sort of a, a god to be, to be worshipped. Others have called it gross or dirty, just a necessary evil to sort of continue to procreate. Others think it's, it's merely just an appetite to be filled. But, but those who understand this book know that it is a gift. It is something that God has created and given to his creation for our pleasure and for his glory. And that means God made you as you are. Which is really interesting if you think about it. Christianity is truly, I think, truly the most positive religion in the world when it comes to our physical body. Because God looks at us when he makes us. He says, this is good. This is, this is my design. This is what I want And so for each of us, as we begin this topic, we've got to begin by embracing God's design. God doesn't make mistakes. This was his idea. Now, certainly because of the fall, right, and and the brokenness around us and within us, our desires and our experiences are often misplaced, aren't they? Often can end up being far off the mark of of God's intention and design. But at, at the very core, whether you are married or single, I mean, we'll express our sexuality different. We'll talk about that in a moment. But regardless, we've got to say, God made you a sexual being with desires, and that's a good thing. That was his idea. Adam and Eve were naked without shame. And so that's kind of the starting point then. And we we see it, all of these things that we're going to talk about in Genesis. This idea of one flesh is is kind of where we're going next. But it comes out so poetically uh, in Song of Solomon that sex is about intimacy. It's not about personal gratification, it's not about my needs or my identity. It's not even merely about procreation, it's about intimacy. The fusing of two separate and different individuals together. And not, not just physically, but completely. Now, the Song of Solomon, okay? This is, many of you I know are, are reading it, right? This week, if you're reading along with us. It is not exactly an easy book to understand, Right? I mean, all these images and, and metaphors, I mean, the language is very, very metaphorical, right? It's, it's all these, it doesn't seem to necessarily fit a story. It's just, it's hard to get our minds around, isn't it? We don't necessarily understand what's happening in all of these details. And then even you think about, I mean, did Solomon write this thing, right? And even that we don't necessarily even know. It says this is Solomon's song, but it did does it mean he's by Solomon or written for Solomon? Is it about Solomon? Is, is it about somebody else? And, and then if you think, I mean, if you, if you happen to know who Solomon was, and you're like, okay, this is the guy with like hundreds of wives and concubines, and, and he's our authority, right? On, 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 you know, sexual life. I mean, what, what is going on? And we don't know the answers to those details, honestly. We really don't. In fact, it just goes to show how broken this issue is in our lives and in our world and has been for thousands of years, right? Ever since Adam and Eve chose to eat that fruit, it's been broken. But we do know this, that in this book, there's a little tiny book that talks about, with joy and beauty, this idea of sexual love within marriage— within a covenant, and it is considered one of the most beautiful poems, one of the richest poems ever written. And it's here in this book written for us. And so we we may not know the details, but we know that it's here, and we know that God has a purpose in it for us. So let me begin reading. We're not going to read all of it, obviously. It's eight chapters. We're only going to look at a few verses, really, in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Let me begin reading in chapter 7. Verse 1, this is the guy talking. He says, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Weird, right? <laughs> I mean... Already it's like, okay, this must be a different culture, different language. I mean, guys, just a little tip for Father's Day. This is for free. Don't refer to your wife's belly as a heap of anything, okay? <laughs> Don't do it. But, but back then, apparently, that was hot, okay? And so that's, that's what happens. And then he, he continues as he works his way up the rest of her body. And this is where I start blushing. I can feel the hue. Verse 3, okay, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. And he starts talking about your neck and your eyes, your head, your nose, your your flowing locks. And he says, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. And then he goes on, gets a little more descriptive. He tells her what he'd like to do with those two fawns, if you know what I mean. But you can, you can read that for yourself. It's already, we're only about a third of the way through and it's already getting warm up here. Don't laugh, you get up here. Okay, and then she responds back, okay? As the, the, the movement of the poetry continues, she responds back with delight and with desire. His pursuits aren't merely one-sided here. And she says back to him in verse 10, she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved. Let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards. And she says, there I will give you my love. I mean, it's like the Garden of Eden all over again, isn't it? Intimacy and desire. I mean, joining these two individuals together. I mean, and, and just even how focused they are on each other, on pleasing each other. It's not about them, it's not about their identity, their self expression, their needs. Sex is about so much more. It's about intimacy. Sex, you see, is a, a uniting act. First Corinthians 6, for example, Paul says that sex makes you one. With that person, that you are inextricably bound together with that individual forever, he says. That, that it comes with those kind of strings together of intimacy that, that bound you together. And it's, it means it, it's not about you anymore. And this is, I think, where so many of us end up either disillusioned by our experiences are just playing wild in our attempts to find satisfaction. Don't lose sight of what it's really about. It's not about you. It's about intimacy. If you think life or marriage is about sex, you will be sorely disappointed. Comedian Jeff Foxworthy says, getting married for the sex is like, buying a 747 for the free peanuts. It's just ridiculous, right? It doesn't make any sense. Nobody in their right mind. But you know, the opposite is also true. I mean, if you think sex is irrelevant to a healthy marriage, you will also be sorely disappointed. Because sex is designed to be this, this greenhouse where intimacy can live and flourish. In many ways, that, that it's just this, this cycle where, I mean, I mean, anytime there's relational intimacy, deep relational intimacy between a man and a woman, this is sort of designed to be the natural response, to, to move into, into physical intimacy. And, and the greater the relational intimacy, and some of you, right, we know this experientially in marriage, the greater the relational intimacy, the more the physical intimacy makes sense and just is there. It just sort of happens. But it also works the other way too, right? That then the physical intimacy pushes us back into deeper relational intimacy. It's designed to be this cycle, this greenhouse where intimacy can flourish. Tim and Kathy Keller they use a different metaphor in their book, The Meaning of Marriage, which I, I'd highly recommend. Um, such such a valuable resource, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. But they compare sex and marriage to the oil in a machine. It says, without it, the friction between all the moving parts will burn out the motor. Without joyful, loving sex, the friction in a marriage will bring about anger, resentment, hardness, and disappointment. Rather than being the commitment glue that holds you together, it can become a force to divide you. Never give up working on your sex life. Sex is a greenhouse for intimacy. And if you treat it as anything less than that, you're missing it. I mean, this is why, why pornography is such a lie, right? And, and why it can never actually satisfy. It's why, why lust is fundamentally wrong. It's because lust is about taking when sex is about giving. It's why adultery kills families and why flings are so destructive to, to us individually. It's, it's why withholding sex in marriage is never appropriate. It's why demanding sex in marriage is not appropriate. I mean, Paul says that, too, right, in 1 Corinthians 7, that our bodies no longer belong to ourselves anymore. Listen, sex is nothing if not a self-giving act, an act of of giving ourselves away to the person that we are most intimately connected with. And really, that's why also if you are single— or for whatever reason you are sexually frustrated in your life. And I don't, I don't mean to make light of those challenges and I realize how, how, how difficult some of those things can be. But if that describes you, it's not the end of the world. That's because it's, it's not about sex, it's about intimacy. And intimacy can still happen in other ways. It, it may take more work, but I mean, that's why the, the church as a family, right, as a community, is a place where, where all people can grow in relational intimacy, even without this, that, that we can have that, whether you are single and frustrated or married and frustrated. The goal isn't sex, intimacy is the goal. Don't lose sight of that. Which then is exactly why sex is about commitment. Because if if you think about it, if it's designed to so powerfully connect two separate and different individuals together, uh, to fuse them together in more ways than simply physically, it makes sense that commitment is part of that. So go back to the song, chapter 8, verse 4. It says there again, this is all part of the same sort of flow in the in the text, even though it's the next chapter. It says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Essentially, it's like saying, you know, there's a time and a place for this. There's a time and a place for for sexual love. It's not all the time. There's, There's a situation when it's when it's right. Don't wake it up until the time is right. Well, when is the time right? Well, verse 6, the longing of the beloved. It says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Some incredible images there. Let's talk a little bit about those, this, this idea of a seal, right? She says, put me as a, as a seal in your heart as well as on your arm. A seal back in that culture was, was a symbol of, of, of a binding contract, of, of a permanence, of, of belonging. If you were to put your seal on someone, you would say, this, this is mine now. This is, this is part of it. And the seals couldn't be broken. That's the idea there. And she's, she says, Love is strong as death. What's more permanent and more certain than death? And when there's, there's not security in the relationship, when there isn't that kind of, of confidence, then jealousy is fierce as the grave. And that with, with this idea of sexual love, no amount of waters can quench this flame once it starts. It's an incredible picture of commitment, being brought together there in that place. And really, I don't—I don't think you can read this, and I, regardless of your your background or your previous you know, views about sex or, or whatever it is, I don't think we can read verses like that and not long for it. Right? I mean, it's just such beautiful poetry, anyway. But this is idea of. of, of being together. And I know we, we live in a sexually liberated culture in which it is culturally fine for you to have sex with anyone, whenever, wherever, however. It just, right, we've thrown that out, and yet I think deep down we know better. I think deep down even our culture knows better. I mean, why else would the majority of love songs still use phrases like, I'll love you forever, or you're the one for me? Why, why would so many of our movies still point in that direction? That there's, there is someone out there that, that's meant to be connected together in permanence, in commitment. I mean, everything continues to point that way because that, that's our longing deep within us. And I don't know if I'm just sort of getting older. And Kelly and I did celebrate 11 years of marriage yesterday. I'm sure things, things change. Thanks, James. Appreciate that. That's good. So maybe I'm just getting older, but... I gotta tell you that the more I witness of the pain around me and the more I see of what can be, I mean, the more I just really believe in monogamy, honestly. Maybe this sounds in some ways a little bit ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, I I love watching movies, for example, and I love particularly movies that draw me into the reality of the human experience, both the beauties and the pains. I mean, it's just how I'm wired, I'm drawn to those kinds of things. And often because sexuality is such an important part of who we are, that's part of those stories. And oftentimes after witnessing some of the pain that people experience, I'll turn to Kelly. I'll say, I'm so glad I believe in monogamy. I'm so glad. And I'm a normal guy, okay? My desires are broken. And yet take one serious look at commitmentless sex. I want nothing to do with it. Not Really? I mean, we might think we do, but there's just so much heartache, so much pain involved with it. We sometimes think that's what we want, but it's only because we underestimate the joy that is offered to us. C.S. Lewis compared sex without marriage to chewing food without swallowing. It just is a, it's a half hearted attempt at the pleasure that's offered, it's shallow and according to this book any sex outside of marriage will be second best fundamentally broken and ultimately self-destructive and you know many many have accused the bible and christians of being anti-sex and sure christians have been throughout the centuries sometimes you know different cultural things and all that but the bible has never been anti-sex in fact it's because the bible has such a high view of the beauty, of the intimacy, of the potential that is there offered to us, that it offers us guidelines and and rules and words of caution around it. We always protect the things that are most valuable to us, don't we? I mean, have you ever, ever seen high fences and a guard tower protecting a pile of dirt? Of course not, but around Fort Knox where all the gold is kept? Absolutely. We always protect the things that we treasure most. And if that's true and protect it like the precious gift that it is. Again, quoting the Kellers, they say, Indeed, sex is perhaps the most powerful, God-created way to help you give your entire self to another human being. For two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You must not use sex to say anything less. So according to the Bible... A covenant is necessary for sex. It creates a place for, of security for vulnerability and intimacy. But though a marriage covenant is necessary for sex, sex is also necessary for the maintenance of the covenant. It is your covenant renewal service. You may have ever been to one of those, like a marriage renewal, right? Re-exchange vows to, to reaffirm their commitment. And according to them, that's, that's what sex is. That's what it's designed to be. A moment of reaffirming your vows to one another. And so, if you're married, never stop working on your sex life. I mean, sure, it changes with years, with kids, I mean, the complexities, all of those things. But it is designed to renew the covenant to foster intimacy, to be a place of laughter and trust and vulnerability, a vulnerability that lives there but extends into every aspect of life and marriage, that is to be a seal as strong as death, fierce as the grave, unquenchable. Which, of course, I realize is far from what many of us have experienced, right? And for some of you, you know, married or not, your experience has always been sort of maybe average at best, right, on a good day. If you're honest, maybe a little lousy, truthfully, whether it's disagreements among, among spouses or just wounded feelings or, or, or inappropriate expectations, right? And this, this area, for me, it, comes with, it comes with so much pain, doesn't it? And if you're single, Right? And, and you're feeling lonely. Then there's that complexity, or, or students, right? You, you know the Sunday school answer. Wait until you're married. And that's that's the right answer. But you're honestly you're just not sure if it's possible, more or less desirable, right? So all of us look at this with, with this these different lenses and this different complexity, but the, at the end of the day, God is not trying to. to weaken our joy he's not trying to rob us from the pleasure that is offered to us he's trying to preserve our joy he's trying to give us greatest joy and intimacy and all that we truly long for with wholeness which really leads us to the next point sex isn't without struggles single married young old happy frustrated doesn't really matter we all know this right I mean, just even think of Solomon did write this poem. I mean, just all the, the... I mean, I guess he probably wrote it when he was younger, right? Before he completely shipwrecked his life. I mean, he ends up destroying himself and everyone around him, essentially. But even if he didn't write it, no matter who wrote it, I mean, even in chapter 5 of, of the song, if we were to, to look there, we don't really have time, but even there, we, we see conflict and we see the, 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 the struggle that they experience and that it's not all just easy, but even there, there's unfulfilled desire. Our world is broken, and so are we, and even the best that we can hope for is still broken. And the reality is, the stronger the force, the more potential there is for joy and for pain. Uh, Pastor Chris, uh, a few months ago, um, was at Barnes and Noble, and he saw something that really sort of typifies this struggle that we experience. Uh, he, he took a picture of it here um, on the one hand, the five love languages that's uh, a christian bestseller about how to work on your marriage, how to love each other, and grow in intimacy it's a good book um, but that on the on the one hand and on the other hand, right next to each other, <laughs> fifty shades of gray you um, know in international bestseller right i'm sure I'm sure some of us have have read it here um, which I think at the very least we'd say has a fairly diminished view of sexuality, right? But right, right there next to each other, and, and regardless of what you think of either book, frankly, it points to the fact that, man, we're messed up, aren't we? I mean, we're just broken. On, on, on either extreme, we, we're, just, we're longing for more. We, we want what's best, but we'll so quickly settle for just about anything. And so if, if you are single and struggling, if you're married and struggling, I mean, frankly, there's a lot of married people who wish they were single and a lot of single people who wish they were married. I mean, it's just how broken we are, isn't it? You know I'm right. Or, or if you struggle with, with lust or, or pornography, if you just can't stop sleeping with your boyfriend, if you've had an affair, um, honestly, some of you are probably engaged in one right now. Or maybe, maybe you, you've been abused. Perhaps, perhaps you struggle with, with same sex attraction and, and you long to live out God's design. You know what this book teaches, but you feel that, that struggle. Maybe that's you, or maybe you're at times just overwhelmed by past mistakes and the shame of, of what you've done or, or the, the experiences that you've had, or maybe your marriage is just so far from what you'd hoped it would be. Well, let me just say loud and clear you are not alone not alone. And if there is sin involved, you are not beyond God's forgiveness. And there is always hope. Always hope. Never give up hope. Because all of us struggle in some way or another. Talk to someone. I mean, if if the church can't handle issues like this, then what what are we good for, honestly? Talk to somebody. Talk, Talk to me. I really doubt there's anything you could tell me at this point that would surprise me, okay? I mean, you can try me, I guess. Um, but talk to somebody or talk to a counselor or a trusted friend or, or maybe there's a resource that could help. We, we put a lot of resources this week on our, on our website. Things for married couples and singles and talking to your kids and, and all these kinds of things. Maybe there's something there that could help you. Maybe it's just a conversation that you really need to have with the person sitting next to you, right? With a, with a spouse or, or with a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and, and honestly, I mean, sometimes the most difficult part is starting the conversation, isn't it? Some of us have been there, right? Well, we've sort of brought it up for you, okay? So half the work is done. Just talk about it. Have the conversation. And know that whatever your current struggles, whatever your past issues, whatever your future failures might be, our Heavenly Father longs to hold you in His arms. And He longs to create beauty from whatever ashes exist in your life. Frankly, it's one of the things He does best. And finally, if sex is about so much more, then hear this, sex is just an appetizer. It's not the meal. Now, now no, don't get me wrong, I love a good appetizer, right? Who doesn't? But nobody goes to the restaurant just for the appetizer, Right? I mean, it's the meal that, that you long for. It's the meal that, that got you there. It's the meal that you crave, right? And as soon as the meal comes out, you know, we're really that interested in the blooming onion anymore, are you? I mean, it's, it's in the past. What we want is the meal. It's what, we, it's what we crave. And like any appetizer, like any good appetizer, right? It's designed to, to wet your appetite for the better thing that's to come. That's, that's what sex is. And again, my, my heart truly breaks for you and your struggles. I I know some of them, and again, married, single, I know how much woundedness there is when it comes to this issue. And so I, I I want you to hear this with all compassion. But if that describes your situation, all you're missing is the appetizer. When the meal comes out, you're not gonna care. It'll be in the past. Because sex is simply an appetizer. What's the meal? And so much more. And this is is where the whole story of sex culminates. This is the intimacy and the commitment that we long for. This is what sex is designed to point us to. Revelation 19, at the end of the Bible, right? Predicting the return of Jesus, we read these words. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We are the bride. This is the union that we're desperate for. This is is the meal that at times it feels like we're starving. Why did God make sex? Procreation, sure. Pleasure, absolutely. Absolutely. But even more so, God made sex so that he would have a metaphor for how he loves us, for how he longs for us with the passion and intensity and desire that we crave most in our life, that our God loves us like that. Sex is designed to be a metaphor. It is nothing but an appetizer. Everything on planet Earth, everything God made is designed to push us to our creator, even sex. Honestly, maybe especially sex. Because the Bible constantly refers to God's people as his wife and that he is our husband. So God made this thing, complicated as it is, broken as we often are in it, he made it to point us to him, to give us a way of thinking, our God loves me like that, he pursues me like that, with the passion, the desire that that I have or experience, that God has that even more in Jesus. We are the bride waiting for our wedding day. Remember what that was like. And we have something so much better to hope for. And so if you're, if you're married and your sex life is great, praise God for it. I don't necessarily think that's the norm, but if that's you, then... Hallelujah, okay? And in every moment of breathtaking ecstasy, right, allow that to to show you, to remind you that even with that longing, even as good as it can be, that there is something so much better waiting for. It's just an appetizer. Even in the best that it can possibly be, you know that it doesn't quite fully satisfy. There's gotta be something more. And for those of you who it's just, eh, you know, or you're, or you're single and, and dealing with, with that, it just feels basically non-existent, let that disappointment only fuel your longing, only fuel your passion for what is offered to us. For one day, every unfulfilled desire will be met. Everyone. And this, this husband who loves his bride Dearly, and our God, He loves you like that. He longs to be with you. He will never leave you alone. He will never abuse you or mistreat you or take advantage of you. And finally, ultimate satisfaction will come. Friends, anticipate the greater meal. Sex is about so much more. Just it's an appetizer. Enjoy it. Praise God for it. Work on it. If you're, if you're married, enjoy it within his design, with the ways that he's made us as, as man and wife within the covenant of marriage. But this is what ultimately, this is what Jesus has done for us. Though he was single all of his life, and Jesus still, he is waiting for his wedding day. But that day will come. The wedding supper of the Lamb when all who trust in him will experience the love that we were created for. We have no idea the delight that awaits us. Let's pray. God, it seems so amazing that you would create such a thing, such a, a beautiful gift that comes with so much potential for abuse. God, we thank you for the gift that it is. Again, whether we're married or single, you made us as sexual beings with desires. God, we thank you for that. God, I pray that you would help us in our brokenness to realize why you've made it, to realize the potential it has between a husband and wife, and to to realize ultimately what it means for our relationship with you, God, that we I'm just blown away by that, God, that that you have something so much better in store, that you love us so much more, that you long for us more than we can even imagine. And that's the best thing you can compare it to here on earth. God, we're amazed. God, I pray for those who are hurting. God, I pray that they would find the help that they need, that you would be gracious to them, that they would talk to somebody, that they would stop um, allowing shame to push them away but would find freedom to be able to to have those conversations, whether it's with a friend or a spouse or with a pastor or a counselor, God, I pray that you would be comforting to them. God, we love you and we trust you for these things, that you are our comfort, you are our sufficiency. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.